Welcome back to Till Death Do Us podcast, a podcast about marriage, murder, with the Murrays. I'm Michelle Murray. And I'm Matt Murray. And hey. Hey. How was, how was being back to work today? It was the worst thing that's ever <laughs> happened in my whole entire life. Your I'm so whole tired. life. The whole, whole thing. Yeah. The entire thing. That's rough. The entirety of my 35 years on this planet. Nothing worse has ever happened. You're 34. Not in January. I told I'm not. you that last episode. But it's my 35th <laughs> year, technically. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. That, sure. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it was rough. It was a long day. There was a lot of moving heavy things and getting kind of back into the swing of work and yeah. It was boring <laughs> and reminded me how much I would love to do this or something else for the rest of my life instead of that. <laughs> I don't understand how people can work from home. All the time? Yeah. You got to be really disciplined. I am, I am not one of those disciplined individuals. I think if I had like a separate room that I had to go to an to office. work from home, like an office, yeah. I could totally do it and I would love it. Yeah. Yeah. I like legitimately like hate the non-flexibility of how our current work system is set up. I think it's terrible for most people. But, like, at some jobs, it doesn't make sense to have flexibility, right? Like, at a store, like a stop-and-shop, you can't be like, well, like, as long as I get my 40 hours in. Oh, yeah. Well, like, yeah, there can't be flexibility in my job. Right. Like, you come in at the time you're supposed to be scheduled. Right. And that's it. Yeah. I just, (laughs) there's so many other facets of working that are infantized yeah and nailed down to See, I'm re- routines I'm, for no reason yeah i'm like the opposite i need that routine like i'm very regimented and like i love my set schedule and yeah like, flexibility i would abuse it i totally would i know it i just i like it i enjoy it it makes me not hate working yeah because no. like i don't know i feel like it just... makes it hard to hold people accountable sure depends like you can tell if somebody's not working yeah. If if you're part of a team, like if you're doing like a group project, you know, and you have like three months to do it and you know that it's like 40 hours of work and somebody shows up and they fucking haven't done their homework, you know that that person didn't fucking do their work. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Is this why, is this why we mesh? Because I'm so high strung and you're so chillaxed? Maybe. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> I just want to work a job where if I have work, I can work, and as long as I get it done, it's okay. Yeah. That's all I want. Yeah. I get that. It. That was a loud-ass gulp. Sorry. <laughs> I also feel like, like last week I got to spend so much time with Grayson. Yeah. And it was fucking awesome. Yeah. And now, like, I don't get to do that again forever until the next time we take a vacation. Right. That sucks. It's a shitty way to live your life. And you like, spend a lot of time with him. Not like that. Because I'm at work when he wakes up. Yeah, but like that's like morning, I feel like I'm going to die time. <laughs> <laughs> like this is like quality time. Like we hung out. Yeah. Like hang out at the cottage on the lake and I don't know. It makes me realize how much of that kid's life I'm not there for. Stop it. You're really depressing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm really tired. I'm fucking exhausted. It was a day. You see, you you see him a lot. Yeah, I think. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Time is a circle. <laughs> it's unending. Till you die. 
<laughs> yeah, that's all I got. I'm really tired today. <laughs> today kicked my ass. Well, so I don't have any marriage advice. I think uh, my well of wisdom is dry. I think also this week's killer might take up more time than we have. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. So I think uh, now we're on episode 20 and I think our trying to come up with advice every week has has maybe worn thin because I can't think of anything anymore. Well, it's not up to us all the time. You know, we come up with it every once in a while. Doesn't need to be every show. We made it every show. Yeah. As a segment, but it doesn't need to be. I'll just pop it in there every once in a while. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> or we'll just, we'll try to keep asking you. I think we slipped this time. Uh, but, you know, we'll try to keep asking you guys, too. But this was a big case, and maybe because it was, you know, a voted on topic, and it's going to maybe be cut up into two shows. I think it is, I mean, it's definitely, this is going to be our first two-parter. Yeah. That, um, you know, maybe... Uh, this episode doesn't have enough time for it. Yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah. So this is going to be our Instead first... of marriage advice, it was just Matt complaining for <laughs> 10 minutes. Apparently. <laughs> Cheer up. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is going to be our first two-parter. So we asked you guys what you wanted, and um, the winner was the Golden State Killer. This is one I actually don't know a whole lot about. Really? Oddly enough. Holy shit. Yeah. So, um, I mean, two parts that says a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. My brain is literally mush. Really? Because I have spent, so, um, in my 32 years of existence, I have mastered the art of procrastination. Mm-hmm. And I put all of those skills mm-hmm. into this one assignment today. Just this one thing. <laughs> And I have spent, so we were on vacation, obviously. So I have spent literally the entire day just immersed in everything Golden State Killer related. Holy shit. Grayson watched a lot of Paw Patrol. I don't even feel guilty. We did so much with him all week. But yeah, my brain is like jelly. It's It's crazy. Good. I learned so much information. Don't stab anybody. It's fine. (laughs) Why would I stab anybody? I don't know. Maybe you're so immersed in the serial killer lore that you. Start I am now a serial yourself. killer. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but so, yeah, the Golden State Killer. We we're gonna take it down a notch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we didn't bring it up a notch yet. You did not bring it up at all. I'm sorry, all. guys. It was a rough day. <laughs> it's been a rough like 24 hours. So, just thinking about having to go to work and then going back to work, and so let's take it. Up, down a notch? We're going to take it down. We're going to take it to a notch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, trigger warnings for anybody. This does involve, um, in- include sexual assault. So um, specifically uh, rape, if you are not down for listening to that, mm-hmm. we understand. Flip it off. Skip, come back. Come skip back. To the next. Yeah. Come well, back next time. Maybe right. not next time. Come back. The time the one after, after that. that. Yeah. <laughs> this one's going to be a long one. Yeah. But so, we totally, um, totally understand it. Yeah. We always want to tell you that up front. Absolutely. All right. You ready? I'm as ready as I'm going to be. Yes. So my sources alone. Oh, boy. Are like. 
Is this going to be 10 minutes of sources? It's a lot. Okay. It's a lot of sources. Should I leave the room and come back? (laughs) So I referenced um, a lot of LA Times articles, obviously, because this happened in California. Mm -hmm. Um, Wikipedia, thevisaliaransacker.com, goldenstatekiller.com, which actually had like a extensive... Um, timeline, which is really interesting to look at. That's helpful. And very, very, very long. We should link that. Yeah. In the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, goldenstatekiller.com. It's actually put on just by regular civilians that are, like, super involved in the case. That's cool. Um, an Unsolved Mysteries episode, season 12, episode 8. Wow. Um, I read the book a couple months ago, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, who is a true crime author with a blog called True Crime Diary. Um, she unfortunately passed before the book was published, and her husband, Patton Oswald helped finish it, along with crime writer Paul Haynes and investigative journalist Billy Jensen, and an introduction by Gillian Flynn. Yeah, was until, also involved until you in the told book. me, I actually had no idea that that book had been written by Patton Oswald's wife. Yeah. So the book was released two years after Michelle tragically and unexpectedly passed away and only two months before the Golden State Killer was caught. Caught, wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow, she would have been fucking amped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that she was, was, from watching the little bit of the documentary that I watched, that right. you were watching. When I fell asleep. Yeah, you could, yeah, pass <laughs> out. Uh, you could tell she was, like, really into it. And not only that, but that, like, patent, like, watching him describe her like how, passion for yeah, it yeah her passion for it was mm-hmm. pretty crazy yeah um yeah i can't even use that that docuseries as um a reference for one of my sources because i fell asleep twice you, when you, i've tried to watch it you jerk that's awful <laughs> i know no it's really good and like i highly recommend it to anybody but like i am really bad at staying up and watching stuff because i work so early and i'm tired by seven o'clock at night (laughs) so i also listened to um an episode of morbid ironically it was their first episode that they had ever put out oh wow an episode of crime junkie titled captured the golden state killer that must have been recent uh ish uh episode of the murder squad with billy jensen and paul holes who was actually one of the investigators on the case oh wow yeah and then my favorite murder. So their first episode was um, Karen talked about uh, the Golden State Killer being one of her, like, that's what got her into loving true crime. But mm-hmm. back then it was the East Area Rapist. So, like, their first episode aired in January of 2016. So this was not only before the book came out, but this was actually before Michelle McNamara passed away. Wow. So it was really interesting to go back and re-listen to their first episode. Without... Without having that. Right. Michelle McNamara was still alive. And hadn't released the book yet. Exactly. Yeah. So they also referenced it in episode 115. That's when the book comes out and they do, um, they actually, it's involved with Patton Oswalt in this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was really cool, listening to him with Karen and Georgia. And then episode 18, where... Jesus. Yeah, where the Golden State Killer actually gets arrested. Your references are going to be half of this show. I'm almost done. (laughs) 
And then episode 122, where they talk with Paul Holes, who is the former cold case investigator who is known for his contributions to solving the Golden State Killer case. Yeah, so My Favorite Murder had a lot of... I guess so. (laughs) Jeez. And, yeah, I think that was it. That was all my sources. So many. That was like 10 minutes of sources. I read a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And listened to a lot of stuff. So, he has gone by many names, including the Visalia Ransacker, East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, um, and when they finally connected those two, they used the acronym EROMs, the Diamond Knot Killer, and finally Michelle McNamara coined the name the Golden State Killer in early of 2013 in order to wrap all of these identities into one. That's a good idea. Before we discuss the crimes, I want to do a quick overview of his life. Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. was born November 8, 1945, in Bath, New York, to Joseph James D'Angelo Sr., a U.S. Army sergeant, and Kathleen Louise de Groet, who was probably a stay-at-home mom because it was the 40s and back then you didn't need 17 incomes (laughs) to raise a family. (laughs) 100% true. (laughs) He was the oldest of four children. In 1964, Joseph received his GED from Folsom High School and in September joined the U.S. Navy where he served for 22 months during the Vietnam War as a damage controlman. In August of 1968, Joseph attended Sierra College where he went on to graduate with honors and earn an associate's degree in police science, which I don't know what that is. Hmm. In 1970, he got engaged to Bonnie Jean Caldwell, but she eventually broke it off. In 1971, he attended Sacramento State University, where he earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Wow, weird. What? That's a, like, policing and criminal justice were his background? Hmm. Hmm. Convenient. Yeah, right? Is a better word for it. Right. He enrolls in postgraduate courses and further police training at the College of Sequoias in Visalia, and then completes a 32-week police internship with the Roseville Police Department. From May of 1973 to August of 1976, he was a burglary unit police officer in Exeter. In November of 1973, at the age of 25, he married 17-year-old Sharon Marie Huddle. They went on to have three daughters. What? Well, fishing in the, fishing in the young pond. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's, I mean. It's, 17 and 25? Yeah, it's weird because she was very young. But, like, that's not even that big of an age difference. I mean, That's eight years. Yeah, that's two times through high school. That's not a lot. I feel like that's a lot. I've always gone, like, I could be in high school with you plus or minus a year. (laughs) Have you? Yeah. I was definitely 20 and dated someone who was 28. Gross. That's not not even that big of an age difference, like, at all. I don't know. It just sounds gross when you say 17 and 25. It does, because she was underage. Yeah, that's gross. Right. It's a little gross. But like 21 and 29? Yeah, I guess not. I don't know. That's pretty... That's Yeah, that's not bad at all. Unless the the guy's got to be like super immature, or she's got to be really mature, one or the other. I'd say at 20, I was pretty mature. Yeah. Yeah. And he was very immature. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyways, I don't think eight years is a lot. Gross. 
Um, from August of 1976. Ew. Shut up. All right. <laughs> so they went on to have three daughters. Gross. Per- That's gross. They had sex eight years apart. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shut up. All right. From August of 1976 to July of 1979, he served on the Auburn Police Department before being let go because he was caught shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent. After leaving the force, his employment history is unknown until around 1990 when he worked as a diesel truck mechanic at Save Mart Supermarkets distri- Distribution Center in Roseville up until his retirement in what 2017. What of things to have to grab? A hammer and dog repellent? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what you're stealing? Right. Yeah. Weird. How does that not set off a little... Right. It's a red flag. You would think so. Yeah. What did he steal? Money? No. Things that are expensive? No. A hammer and dog repellent. (laughs) All right. So now we'll go into his crimes. Although it is suspected that Joseph D'Angelo may also be the Cordova cat burglar and the Exeter ransacker, which have crimes that date back to May of 1973, the crimes that were confirmed to have been him didn't begin until March of 1974. The Vesalia ransacker is said to be a serial prowler, voyeur, and burglar. He is suspected to have committed over 120 crimes in the area. Because of the very clear MO he had, it was easy to connect his crimes. He would often break into single-family homes by finding unlocked windows or by prying a door open. Once inside, he would pull out multiple window screens and place them on beds, giving him the ability to escape more quickly if he was ever interrupted. He would stuff a chair under the front doorknob in an effort to slow anyone down. He would also put cans, cups, or trinkets against or on top of doors so that he would be alerted by them crashing if anyone came in. He, as his name suggests, would go about ransacking the house. He would open every drawer in the bedroom and remove all of the women's garments and arrange them in a delicate fashion around the house. Panties would be stacked on pillows, bras would be lined up, and he'd make patterns out of lingerie and nightgowns. It's very weird. Mm-hmm. He would find lotion or bring his own, usually Jurgen's brand, and it was evident that he would masturbate in some areas of the house. He would cause unnecessary destruction of the house, like pushing over bookshelves, pouring a bottle of wine onto the carpet, covering the furniture with shaving cream, or dumping all of the homeowner's medications down the toilet. When he could, he would stay long enough to enjoy some food that was in the house. Law enforcement notes that he had a fondness for ice cream. Mm. (laughs) He would also steal trinkets from the house, never really anything of much value, Normally small things like class rings, cufflinks, and most notably, a single earring from a set. Just one. It's weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to make you feel uneasy. Yeah. Yeah. He would also steal items like firearms, ammo, a knife, a hammer, and a billy club. At times, he even stole practical things for himself, like packaged t-shirts, glue, canned food, dishes, binoculars, and a stereo. Around 2 a.m. on September 11, 1975, all of his ransacking and prowling and voyeuring came to a head when he attempted to kidnap 16-year-old Elizabeth Snelling from her home. By her account, she awoke to a man laying on top of her wearing a ski mask. At first, she thought it may be one of her younger brothers, but then she noticed the gun. She describes his voice as a low, whispery growl as he tells her that she is coming with him and to not scream or he will kill her. 
He begins to lead her out of the house and though the back and through the backyard when her father, Claude Snelling, comes out and immediately charges towards his daughter's abductor. Elizabeth is thrown to the ground and Claude is shot twice with a revolver that was previously stolen from a home only two weeks prior. Before he flees, he hits Elizabeth in the head with the gun, he kicks her a number of times, and then he takes off running. Sadly, 45-year-old Claude died from his gun wounds on the way to the hospital. A few months later, in December of 1975, a homeowner noticed shoe prints outside of her daughter's bedroom window. Since the murder of Claude Snelling, police were taking every precaution and would often stake out any homes that called with concerns, so they set one up for the home on West Kauea. I think it's probably not called. <laughs> How do you spell it? K-A-W-E-A-H. Kauea? Kauea? Yeah. West Kauea. On In De- West Kauea. <laughs> <laughs> On December 10th, 1975, an officer finally came face-to-face with the culprit during a stakeout. At 6.30 p.m., the officers received notice that a home on West Laurel Ave, which was a half a mile away from their current location, was struck by the ransacker. Knowing that it was common for him to strike more than once in one night, it was actually one day where 12 were reported. Holy crap. um, They stayed waiting. Damn, he must have been efficient at that shit then. Yeah. He was a fucking pro. And he had a hammer and dog repellent. So, like, (laughs) he was fine. (laughs) Get out of here. I'm smashing, doggy. Around 8.30 p.m., a man began slowly moving, crouched against the shrubbery in an effort to stay concealed. He began peeking into the windows and making his way to the back door. Officer McGowan followed him and watched as he tampered with the lock. So that was one of the officers that was on the stakeout. Using the element of surprise, he clicked on his flashlight and directed it towards the prowler's face. The suspect shrieked and cried in a high-pitched, somewhat feminine voice. He took off his ski mask, shoved it in his right pocket, and took off running. It was impressive how he could propel himself over fences and shrubbery. What? Why would the first thing you do be to take off your mask? Yeah, I don't know. That sounds so dumb. But, like, it was noted in a couple articles that, like, he took off his mask. Because Officer McGowan... Maybe because he had to run and he didn't feel like he could breathe through or the mask. See. Or see. He had, like, a ski mask, so, like, sometimes... If you're trying to look down. I just, that's so, why, like, why right yeah. then? So he was able to give, like, the first description that created, like, one of the first, um... Sketches of him. Yeah, exactly. It was impressive how he could propel himself over fences and shrubbery. He then stopped running, and standing only five feet away from Officer McGowan, he put up one hand and pretended to surrender. He then grabbed a gun from his pocket with his other hand and shot directly at the officer before fleeing the scene. In a true miracle, the bullet hit McGowan's flashlight, and other than some debris from the shot that hit his eye, he came out of the situation practically unscathed. Although this is said to be the last known strike of the Visalia ransacker, the house did end up being burglarized on October 24, 1976. It is not confirmed... Wait, so he went back? Yeah. Jesus. A year later. It's not confirmed if it was, in fact, him coming back to finish the job, but, like, really? Do you think that, like, the whole time it was, like, burning in his mind that he fucking didn't get to go into the house? Like, do you think the whole year, like, oh, he's hitting sure. all this other stuff, doing all these other things, but he was just like, I need to go back to that house because yeah. I didn't fucking finish. Definitely. 
In June of 1976, the crimes of the East Area Rapist began. At night, he would stalk the middle-class East of Sacramento neighborhoods of Carmichael, Citrus Heights, and Rancho Cordova. He did some serious recognizance. In the beginning, he would target single women living in one-story homes. Most victims saw or heard prowlers on their property days or weeks before being attacked. Some even received threatening phone calls. Um, Crime Junkie and Morbid both played some of the audio, and it's truly fucking terrifying. Really? Yeah. Have you ever heard it at all? No. Oh my god, it's so, it's so terrifying. Is it just like the heavy breathing? He would breathe heavy, and he would just be like, I'm gonna kill you. Kill you. That is really creepy. Just like that. Yeah, that's really creepy. Yep. It's creepy right now. It was so creepy. Yeah. Oh, God, it was so bad. Um, So a few of the homes actually had prior break-ins. It is said that he would go into the homes to unlock windows, unload guns, and even plant ligatures to use for when he chose to attack. Some of the homes had children inside that slept through the attacks. Some of them, the children woke up and had to bear witness to their mother's attack. Some of them were children themselves, the youngest said to be 12 or 13. He would enter the homes wearing a ski mask and a shirt and no pants, which is the scariest fucking thing ever. It's very interesting. Yeah. What? Mm -hmm. Where did his pants go? He just wouldn't put pants on. He He would just begin the attack with no pants. To make it easier for him. So just like he'd be invading these houses like dongle fucking flailing in the wind. Mm -hmm. Just trying to break into a house half naked. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. And I know this is a very serious case. But that shit is kind of (laughs) hilarious. Oh, I'm sorry. Elena from Morbid called it. I'm so sorry. Elena from Morbid called it Winnie Pooing. Because Winnie Pooh doesn't (laughs) wear any pants. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry. That's not. It's not funny, but it is kind of funny. It's so gross. Like visually, it's that's so kind of hilarious. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like a just ski a mask, just a imagine, shirt. Imagine. Wait. So did the cop catch him like that? Or just no? no the victims this before, described. This was no, no, no. The cop that caught him trying to burglarize. He didn't do that when he was trying to burglarize houses. Right. He just did it when he began raping. Because I just. I just like in some alternate universe where this guy didn't become like a prolific killer slash rapist, right? There's like a one time and one time only where he tries to do this and a cop rolls up on a guy unsuccessfully trying to climb in a window half naked with just a shirt and a ski mask on. And I don't know why, but that's kind of fucking funny. You're a horrible person. I am. I'm so sorry. It's not that it's not, like this case is not funny, but that imagery is pretty hilarious. <laughs> I'm the dangle flying in the wind in the ski mask. <laughs> they called me old fellatio. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so he would awaken the victims by shining a flashlight in their face or simply by climbing on top of them. Oh, God. He would tie their hands behind. Way worse. Yeah, now you feel like an asshole. It's just, I know. I'm sorry. It's just, I know it's not funny, but it was. It's a funny image. (laughs) He would tie their hands behind their backs and rape them. 
When he was done, he would tie their ankles together and wander around the house, sometimes eating their food and drinking their beer, or sometimes hiding until the victim would assume that he was gone, and they would go to get up and find help only to learn that he was laying in wait. He would often rape them multiple times in a night, staying sometimes until it was light outside. During all of this torture, he was consistently threatening them. It is said that he would have fits of crying and mumbling and saying things like, I'm sorry, Mommy. I don't want to do this anymore, Mommy. Somebody please help me. And even once he was described as saying uh, the name Bonnie, he would lay down with a victim and be like, I hate you, Bonnie, which was the woman who broke off um, the engagement. The engagement. Yeah, back in the day. In 1977, the attacks escalated from single women to couples. And that was where I had planned to stop and do it halfway. But now I'm regretting it, and I probably should have done it all at once. Yeah, wow. That was a lot shorter than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it made You made it sound like it was so long. I have so many notes, and normally all of these notes, normally this much amount of notes gets us way more time. I know. Jeez. What do you want to do? <laughs> do you want to, instead of splitting this up, we'll count this as a break? And we can record part two tomorrow and record and release it a day late. Okay. You want to do that instead? I guess so. <laughs> it, do you have so many notes because there are so many other things, like so many more things? Yeah, there was so much more because then he starts he starts attacking couples. No, but so, wait, do you have more notes written now? No. You it's don't. all in my brain. It's all in your head. All right. So we're going to record part two. So this is going to be a breaking point. No, right but we'll here. just still release this tomorrow. And then we'll release the next one Wednesday. If just two like half hour episodes? Yeah. So we just talk about it for 20 minutes and that's it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't plan this very good, guys. Remember that time I said I was a master procrastinator? Yeah. JK. <laughs> I failed. <laughs> really thought that all of that information that I had was going to be a lot longer. Yeah, gee. Did I, thought, I talk did I talk really fast? I don't think so. I don't feel like you did. Are you sure you don't want to just chop this and we'll release it one day late? We'll put them both together. No, I hate being late. We keep we keep being inconsistent. Yeah, but people still listen. No. People will still listen to it. No. Do we do the cheers now or later then? I mean, I still had it. I had a cheers for today. Did you? What was yours? I vacation. Yeah. Mine was going to be that we scheduled uh, kayaking for Saturday. I'm right. really fucking excited about it. Yeah, I'm pretty amped about that, too. That yeah. guy was cool. We met this dude at, like, a lake, at the lake, up by my cottage, who I'd never met before, even though I've been there for 35 years. Uh, and he was a really nice dude, and uh, he had, like, his two sons, or one son and a nephew with him, uh, and they were both older, like 18, I think, and he let us try out his kayak. And, and we fell in we love. Had, we had a really good time, and we decided that we needed kayaks. <laughs> and we were like, we're people who kayak now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wait. So to cap this off, though, that was the last known crime of the East Area Rapist? Attacking single women. And then it goes on to couples. Mm-hmm. So that's where you stopped. You stopped at single women. Yes. Yeah, all right. Do we want to do, I, I want to do all the hullabaloo at the end of this episode that I do at the end of a normal episode? Why are you making this so awkward? Because <laughs> it's just, it's so short now. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Well, so anyway, this was a, 
we had planned to do two episodes and we tore through a now lot now i'm of getting so nervous that i'm not doing this case justice why now i'm scared how come i fucked it up why i don't know why you didn't fuck it up it's fine well (laughs) (laughs) this went on much shorter than anticipated um we probably could have got through the whole thing i think in one recording yeah i should have done that yeah you should anyways um moving on moving on uh we did our cheers so uh you can find us on facebook uh come hang out with us there um you can buy our merch at Teespring at teespring.com slash stores slash till death to us podcast. Um, you can follow us on Patreon uh, and donate if you'd like. And that's patreon.com slash till death to us podcast. Um, we have a bunch of different tiers there. And depending on the tier, we have a bunch of different fun stuff that you get for, uh, you know, giving us money monthly or even one time. Uh, you know, and it all goes towards just making the show better and better and maybe longer and giving us slightly longer hours to determine <laughs> whether or not we can make a full show out of something. We also really, really need a new microphone. Um, I'm a little frustrated with last week's episode because there was definitely some times that you like Couldn't 100% were really whispery. Really? Yeah. Well, I try not to do that anymore. As you whisper. <laughs> um but yeah, so but to, but it would be great to have two microphones and um so it yeah and like a mixer and stuff so your face never leaves the microphone shut up <laughs> um this is a really good microphone I know um but yeah any of that stuff you know uh, help us out if you can um, if not please keep listening uh, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts uh, if you do a review we'll read it on air if you do a review for us um, you know it helps us get in front of more people. Um, if you do review and we're on all other major streaming networks, uh, Spotify, uh, Google podcasts, you can find us pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. Um, and yeah, that's it for this particularly short episode. <laughs> it's and, a sode Yeah. And, uh, listen up for sode number two, and maybe we'll try to make that a regular sized episode and we'll get that the day after this no, airs. No, you gotta do, it's gonna be two minisodes. Double minisode? Yeah. Do you think? So the second episode, I plan to talk about um, what he would do when he, uh, the East Area Rapist, attacked couples, mm-hmm. and then I still need to go into his murders, and then also his trial that just happened last month. Right. So that might be longer, though. That might be a little bit longer. Yeah, okay, fine. Um, but yeah, so stick around, hang out, uh, and wait a day for uh, part two, but listen to this in the meantime. You got anything else? No. Well, for Till Death Do Us Podcast, I'm Matt. I'm Michelle. And I just wanted to remind you guys, hey, don't murder each other. Bye. For now. Bye. <laughs>